Welcome to the 89th episode of the Young Terps Podcast from the Viner Fourgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, we're talking Maryland's 18-point win over Northwestern. Some more football news as developments keep on happening. And of course, the non-rev report. But before all of that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals. Your hometown Terrapin Party Rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories we're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free, no-obligation quote at 301-986-0067 or on the web at AlliedPartyRentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Well, to kick things off, as always, on the Madden River Report, wrestling lost their seventh game of the season to Michigan State by a score of 28-12. to They are now 0-7, and... Um, Things might be changing soon with wrestling. Yeah, it looks like Coach McCoy might be on his way out of College Park. And the only other non-rev item that we have for you guys today is tennis that lost their opening match of the season at Navy four games to three. And they will play their second match of the year tomorrow in College Park against Georgetown at 3 p.m. Jordan, now on to some football news. Yep, we got a couple of three stars that flipped yesterday. The first of which is David Summers, the quarterback for Upstate New York, flipped to somewhere closer to home at Syracuse. And then three-star running back prospect from Virginia, Jordan Houston, flipped to NC State. Both of these guys were very Matt Canada-centric. I'm not surprised they're gone. Yeah, Jordan Houston, um, I think we have him as a Chris Beatty guy here. Uh, David Summers, let's start off with him. This guy is going to be a good quarterback. Jordan, I think you agree with that. We watched the film. He's a good quarterback. He's really more of a pocket passer. I'm surprised that he's actually going to Syracuse. But he was very limited in his options, of course, by this time in recruiting. But, you know, props to him. He's really going to be a good player. Yeah, I think he is. Like I said, he like you said, he's a very conventional quarterback. And I don't know how he's going to fit in Kino Baver's system, but I guess that's not really our concern. Also, one quick note: I said David Summers was from New York. He's actually from Connecticut, so still closer to home for him. But my bad. I really like Jordan Houston. I'm kind of bummed we last saw it on him. Yeah, Jordan Houston was a pretty versatile player. He had a lot of skills, of course, an All Met guy for all the local Terp fans around here. Um. But he's a running back. At the end of the day, we have a ton of running backs. Um, just, you know, it's unfortunate, but these two guys kind of looked out like they were going out the door. Obviously, David Summers was one of the guys who Mike Loxley wasn't going to take. And Jordan Houston really never, even when he committed to Maryland, really never closed his recruiting, was still talking with Michigan State. Um, NC State definitely came kind of made a strong push for him and ended up landing him, so props to NC State for that. But again, not a guy that I really thought Mike Loxley was the most interested in keeping. Yep, but that's how it goes, and the Trapes have kind of replaced both of them with adding two transfers. 
Yeah, and let's talk about the first of those guys, a guy that many Maryland fans are, of course, familiar with, and that is Keandre Jones, the outside linebacker from the Ohio State Buckeyes. Yeah, Keandre Jones, the outside linebacker, he was he committed to Maryland about in 2014, and he was Dwayne Haskins' good friend, and they kind of went to, as a package, and then Haskins flipped, and then he asked Keandre Jones to check out Ohio State, and then Keandre Jones flipped. And for three years, he played for Ohio State, and he just never really was able to get in the field, as it happens at these huge schools when they have you know swaths of four- and five-star recruits. He, only pl- he played 32 games and made 29 tackles over the course of his career. Well, now that Locks is back at Maryland, he was able to woo Keandre Jones back, and I guess we'll see if he can finally reap his potential. Yeah, and it's looking like he will get um, a waiver to play for this year. Uh, There's some family circumstances behind that, but it looks like uh, Keandre Jones will be suiting up for Maryland in this coming season. Well, that's actually kind of surprising to me. I didn't think he would get that waiver, but if he does, that's great. He will, I would think he'll probably start in the outside linebacking spot before the Terps. Yeah, I think you're right with that. Uh, obviously, Brand, one of the guys that was out there, um, got injured, a season-ending injury during this past season, and the guy that um, stepped in there and was playing really well, kind of I'm blanking on his name right now, and then, of course, Jesse Annie Bodum, who is probably off to the NFL. If you know, He's definitely going to get a chance at it. Right, and then the other guy who we landed is Sean Savoy, a Virginia Tech wide receiver. Yeah, Sean Savoy, another guy from this area, of course. Thing extra to the Maryland receiving core, and of course, just strengthening those ties to this area, which we both know is very important. Yeah, Sean Savoy is from the District of Columbia, from Woodrow Wilson High School, actually, which has really become very terp territory, for lack of a better term. Savoy was a three-star recruit coming out of high school. He had a really good first season for the Hokies. Got five, sorry, 454 receiving yards and four touchdowns his freshman season. But then last year, only 188 yards and 18 receptions. So I assume he is also transferring for his own change of pace, maybe get back to freshman form. He is more likely to sit out. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that, could be the case, but you never know. I mean, these waivers have gotten a lot easier to come by these past few years. He will fill a spot that Maryland does not have, which is being a 5'9", 192-pound wideout. Um, if you look at the guys that Walt Bell and not really Matt Canada, but more Bell brought in, they're all big guys. Uh, Dean is 6'4", the only guy they can really think of that is – kind of in this realm of size, might be Brian Cobbs, Jayshon Jones, a bigger receiver. They just don't look that big on TV because they're all kind of that size. Yeah, Savoy is much more of a classic slot receiver type that can be used as a slot receiver, you know, a smaller guy that can kind of sink into zones, uses quick moves, opposed to trying to stretch the field with bigger receivers. I think... I really hope Kendra Jones is able to gain his form from high school and the potential that he had because he hasn't shown much at Ohio State, but he would definitely get the chance here at Maryland. 
yeah, um, let's go to the few um, hires that we had this week, and let's start off with the guy that will be taking over the Maryland Strength and Conditioning Program, and that is Ryan Davis, who most recently was at Colorado State. Yeah, Ryan Davis has been with Colorado State's head coach Mike Bobo, one of the higher regard coaches in the group of five since he arrived at Colorado State in 2015. Um, under, I mean, it's hard to evaluate training and conditioning coaches without really looking into it, obviously. But on the whole, Colorado State has done a fantastic job of program building in the last few years. They've had three straight running seasons before this last year, got a new stadium in 2017. So as far as I can see, this seems like a good hire to me. He will also bring along with him Matthew Fly from Oregon, who was the assistant um, strength and conditioning guy there. He will take the same position at Maryland. Uh, one more note on that. Fly was not at Oregon when the claims from their strength and conditioning lawsuit are from. He started there in January of 2018, and those claims are from 2017. And before that, he was at the University of Georgia. Yes, yeah, so a key detail to mention there. The Terps also hired Dobert Cowsett as a defensive line coach. Cowsett uh, has been around as a player. Of course, he attended Maryland, which is important to mention. And before he was here, he was at University of Albany for five seasons at the same position. Yeah, and this is a um, hire that had quite a lot of people um, really loving it. Uh, a lot of people remember Cowsett. When he was a player at the University of Maryland, he, I remember um, Wayne's memory of him is when he scored a touchdown in a season opener. And Jordan, just throw out a name. I'm pretty sure you won't know it. Who did they lose that opener to? What year was this? Give me a time frame. Well, I mean, you have the years that he was there. I don't really know what year it was. I, I just heard the story really quickly. I would assume Penn State. <laughs> no. It was a loss to an... Now now I'm not really so sure about this. I'm pretty sure it was a loss to the University of Ohio when Maryland scored seven points the whole game and um, Calcet was the only guy to score for the Terps in the entire game. That sounds about right. That sounds about right for the time period. Um, I like the hire just because it's a Terp. I believe he's the only Terp on the coaching staff. He might be the only true Terp on the um, coaching staff. Of course, Loxley's really a Maryland guy. and Okay, he's Elijah the only Brooks. degree holding member from the University of Maryland College Park. I think that that's true. I'm not really to say that it's completely true. Um, if you just take a look back at what the defensive line production was at Albany. Uh, in 2017, they had 24 sacks, held opponents to 107 rush yards. So they were a pretty successful group up front. And there's one thing that I'd like to point out here. Mike Loxley, and I know this one might be a little bit skewed because he is a tarp, but if you look at guys like um, Reagan, the guy that's coaching the offensive line, and Dilbert Halsett, who's now the D-line coach, they're from some pretty um, unnatural places for the next step in their careers to be at a Big Ten Power 5 college football program. Obviously, Reagan's from Penn. Um, as you know, Calcet is from uh, UAlbany. So, some guys that were really successful at kind of a different style or level of football 
but now they're Terps, and hopefully Mike Loxley's found two gems because they quite possibly could be. Well, I hope so. Albany isn't, a, as someone who kind of knows the FCS level, Albany is definitely not an FCS power by any stretch. They've only had, I think, like one winning season in the last six years or something. So I do hope that this is a down in the rough hire because it would definitely fly under the radar as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think that, again, the fan base is very happy. Um, It's just, it's great to see, again, Terps coaching. Obviously, Matt Barnes moved on. He's um, the special teams coordinator now at Ohio State. Uh, Jafar Williams just was named the wide receivers coach at, I forget right now, but I will look that up. So, it's great to see another Terps step in. Um. Obviously, I'm one of the guys that says no one can do these jobs better than people that have loved for the university that they're doing it at, and I think Maryland's added their their terp to the staff, their uh, or as you would say, their U- University of Maryland College Park graduate terp to the staff. I mean, I, I think it's you can say that you're a Maryland fan and you've been Maryland fan your entire life all you want, and that's great. And so, I mean, so am I. At least I'm not. I think. I'm not a University of Maryland, but I'm still well at the school. But at least to my understanding, it is different if you went there and spent four years or five years there and really became, you know, part of the institution versus being on the outside looking in. You know, it's definitely that is a thought. I, I like the fact that he played football here, not really that he went here. Um but Mike Loxley is a real Maryland guy. Elijah Brooks is a real Maryland guy. There there are Maryland guys on this. They might have not went here. They might have not played football for Maryland, but they are Maryland people. Um, you listen to Mike Loxley, what he said about how when he was a kid he used to come to Maryland games. There's really – they're not from other places. They're from Maryland, and to me that's enough because there aren't – I mean, there are a lot of coaches compared to a lot of schools. Maryland has a lot of coaches that went here, but I, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm not saying they lose anything by not going here, but I'm saying maybe the other people do gain something from going here. Like you, I'm not really sure my point is here to be honest, but I do think there's a difference between growing up here and being a fan and then actually attending school here. And you're entitled to that opinion, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, I get what you're saying, and I'm, I think it's a fair um, outlook, but let's get back to it. I think it's a good hire for many reasons. Maybe not all of them are coaching. Maybe he, I really just, I like it that he's a Maryland guy. His defensive lines were productive at a school that, as you said, knowing the FCS isn't really a powerhouse. Um, there's just a lot to like here and really just another, and I think it might have been the last piece, actually, in finishing off the staff. And speaking of that staff, we have contract details for three of the Maryland coaching hires. Yeah, and let's start off with the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Maryland, and that, of course, is Scotty Montgomery. He will earn $450,000 in income and then another 350000 in supplemental income. 
Um, Montgomery will be paid $550,000 if he's fired without cause. And if he is fired and takes another job in athletics, the amount he receives from Maryland would be reduced by the amount that he makes at his new job. If that makes sense. No, I I mean, to explain that further, that means, so that that $550,000 number will get reduced by whatever the new salary is at his new job. So if he gets paid a million at his new job, Maryland doesn't pay him anything. Yes. All right, that that I actually think I like that. I like that as just a general clause for most of these contract. It's it's a fair clause, I think, for all parties involved. Yeah. Um, let's move on to running backs coach Elijah Brooks. Five thousand in the first year, and two hundred thousand in his second year, and then the last one, special teams coordinator John Papuchas will make three hundred fifty thousand dollars each year of his two-year deal and will be made will be owed my bad $250,000 if fired without cause and then a- one more thing will be Brooks instead of having a payout will be owed the entirety of his salary if he is to be fired without cause so then Brooks and Papuch is both only have two-year contracts that's uh, pretty odd, I think, as most universities will try to hire coaches for four-plus years so they can go and recruit and say they'll be there for four years. Yeah, I, I really don't know what Michael Oxley was doing, but there has to be a reason. There has to be something behind that, either if it was from the athletic department or Loxley himself. Thing, um, piece of this. And the Washington Post was the first one to um, report this information. And moving on here, oh, actually, there's one more thing. Both of the incentives for all these coaches are very similar to the ones of Michael Oxley. Obviously, the amounts are adjusted based on what they make compared to Michael Oxley, but the same kind of things. Um, Big Ten Championship regular season and the game, they all have different kinds of bowl incentives, national championship stuff. All of that is in almost every one of these contracts, just in general. And I think with that, we have definitely talked enough about football since it is the heated basketball season, and we did play a game. Yeah, and before we get to that game, this podcast is also brought to you by Maryland Eurocars. When you're looking for someone to work on your European car, Look no further than Maryland Eurocars. We have a few Audis in the family and some BMWs at the office, and we take our cars to Christian at Maryland Eurocars. Christian and his team know they're around Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more makes. Always friendly, courteous, and honest, along with being an extra clean shop. Maryland Eurocars is the best place to take your European car, and they are the most reasonably priced shop in town. Located in Rockville, you can reach Maryland Euro Cars at 301-217-5831. Ask for Christian at 301-217-5831 and tell them that the Young Terps sent you. Jordan, before we get to basketball, let all the Young Terps fans out there know where they can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at YoungTerp1. That's YoungTerp with the, no- with the number one. They can follow you on Twitter at Intern Mason. 
All right, now let's talk some Maryland hoops. Maryland, of course, top Northwestern 70-52 to last night at the Xfinity Center in a game that was must have been just awful to watch if you are a Northwestern fan. Well, here's my biggest takeaway from this game. Northwestern has two really important offensive players in Vic Law and Derek Parton, the couple of senior um, front court front courtsmen, for lack of a better term. And those two were just handled the entire game by Sticks and Fernando. Yeah, Parton had some nice moves down low, as I tweeted during the game. Uh, Vic Law, as you said, really had a rough night. Two for eight from the field. One for five from three. Only three rebounds, five points. Um, Just a rough night from Northwestern. Uh, Chris Collins said after the game, it just seemed like every open shot that they were taking, they missed. And I think that's fairly true. Um, I don't have, or I can pull up the final stats here, but I remember during the game, looking at the stat broadcast, seeing that Northwestern was 9 for 41 shooting, and I believe at the time they were like 2 from 18 from deep. They ended the game 18 for 58 from the field, that's 31%, 5 from 23 from deep, that's 21%. Just a brutal game for Northwestern, where Chris Collins kind of put it right, the ball just didn't go in the basket when they were open. No, Northwestern could not hit a shot. And meanwhile, the Terps, especially early in the first half and for a huge run in the second half, they were moving the ball better than they had all season. And in the second half especially, it was mostly without Anthony Cowan, who only played 19 minutes in the game due to foul trouble. I really don't know. I mean, he did get four fouls, yes. I don't really know if you want to call it foul trouble or had it with them um I didn't really or they didn't really explain it to the fans at Xfinity Center as you just did off air what happened with the technical foul but Jordan just can you really explain that yeah well what my understanding of it was that they for those who saw it on TV you saw it pretty clearly Anthony Callen hooked a guy on offense which you can't do but because he kind of fell over after the hook, they caught a foul in Northwestern. Chris Collins was very upset about this for for a good reason. And he asked them to review it. And basically, they could not give him personal foul via replay in the first half. But they could give him a technical foul in replay, which would have had the same effect. So that's what they did. So explain something to me. Why, and I don't know if you know the answer, but why could... Chris Collins even get them to review that play and assess a foul to a Maryland player after the play was over? I do not know. Um, It's hard to get upset about this because it was so clearly a foul on Cowan and the Northwestern guy didn't do anything wrong. But also, on the other hand, I don't know how you can do that, do what you just said. Yeah, I don't know. That that just seems kind of a little bit nuts to me. I, I just don't. That's not basketball. Basketball is not a coach's challenge sport. Um, I don't know. That's that's. I'm sure the conference has some explanation for that. I don't know if we'll ever get it, but I'm sure they will deal with that the way they see fit. If that was allowed or not. Well, 
I don't think it's worth dwelling on considering how well the rest of the game went and how well we played without Anthony Cowan on the floor. Yeah, that was really important to me. Um, after what happened in the Illinois game, Maryland really wasn't able to move the ball without Anthony Cowan in a lock, kind of like a lock-off position, I guess, a face guard, if you will, against the Illini. And it was really good to see um, Cowan getting up, being focal from the bench, and Maryland just be fine, really be able to run the ball, um, well, run the shot clock down and score the basketball, and really continue to not turn the ball over, do a lot of good things. Maryland had about six turnovers really early in this game and then finished with 11 total. So really just positive result. Um, I know you really don't like to see Anthony Cowan in foul trouble, but it might have actually been a good thing for him to not necessarily play out this whole game. Well, that's what I was thinking, especially in the second half after we had our um, big middle of the half run where we got the lead up to 20 points. I was about with 10 minutes left. Um, it would just it occurred to me, like, okay, you know what? Just let him sit out. Let him have one game in this entire season where he just gets to rest and rejuvenate a little bit because he's playing 38, 39 minutes a game. It could it could be really better for us in the long run to give him a half day. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Let's run through the um... – Maryland stats here. Let's start off with the big man down low, just dominating basketball in the Big Ten, and that, of course, is Bruno Fernando. Nine for 16 on the night, and another double-double, 22 and 10 for the big man down low. Man, Bruno Fernando's just becoming a monster. Yeah, he had a great game, as you said, 22 points, 10 boards, double-double, and nine for 16 from the field, efficient, he wasn't – I think he was actually more disruptive on the defensive end of the ball, though, because, like I said, they used Derek Parton for their hub of the offense. He's their Anthony Cowan, and Bruno just manhandled him early in the game. They could not figure out how to get him into a position where he could score. He was able to use his length and athleticism to take advantage of Parton's 6'8 height, which could actually be shorter in real life. This was maybe – you could make a case this was the best game of the season. Yeah, let's move on to Maryland's other marquee big man. That was Jalen Smith, who really, again, struggled early on in this game, but picked it up by the end of the game in 24 minutes on the night. Smith shot 5 of 10, 1 for 2 from deep, 3 for 3 from the line, 14 points, 9 rebounds. Another bad start from the freshman, but a strong finish. Kind of got us seeing that uh, Jalen Smith from around the Minnesota game time. Yeah, Sticks played like himself again. He actually had, in my opinion, one of the plays of the game when he dunked the ball home. That was Fernando's play. Uh, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But that got the points of the Terps up to 20 points. And he was, again, you don't say this for Sticks much, but he was also extremely disruptive on defense. Vic Law only got eight shots off, and we made two of them. One of them was a three. And we got three rebounds, which was huge. And Sticks, at points in this game, was actually better on the glass than Bruno was. Yeah, the Jalen Smith conversation after the game, he was talking about how, or Turgeon brought it up, talking about how they've been beating on him in practice, he's been getting after extra lifts in, they've been um, really trying to get him 
back going after that Michigan State game, trying to show them some of that physicality and practice that you kind of get in the games. And it looked to be working a little bit. Um, he said when he's having rough times, his teammates are the ones that hold him up, keep him in the game, tell him, you know, just keep playing, keep playing your game. That's what the coaches and the other teammates tell him. And that's the right thing to say. Um, just keep playing your game. Just keep getting after it. And we all know how talented Jalen Smith is. Eventually it will work for him. Um, let's talk about Eric Aiello for a second. 32 minutes, uh, three for nine shooting, eight points. But at the end of the game, he kind of looked like he got back into his groove, made a few shots. But the beginning or the first, I don't even know, probably deep into the second half, it was bad from Eric Aiello. Yeah, it, I don't know. Maybe he just hit the freshman wall. I know some people have been theorizing that he's been hurt since the Ohio State game, but I think maybe he just has hit the wall. Maybe he's just tired, running out of juice. But he, at points in this game, at least looked like himself again. I think that he's getting back into it. Um, of course, yeah, maybe you're right. He did. Maybe he slowed down for a few games, but it's good. It's better now than when you desperately need him in March, which you know at this point, you know, you're 17-5, and 8-3 and three in the conference. You're probably, I wouldn't say you're done playing this season, but now we can kind of start to look ahead. You know, look at these next few games and say, win some of these games, and then, you know, you're in the tournament. You're playing for something more. And at this point with this team, if they hit a few lumps now, some of these guys don't, necessarily play their best games now you might be able to say you know better now than later you know this is one of those games where two of your players if you're talking about Ayala and Cowan kind of took a step back and the rest of the team pushed them through which is something that let's be honest we knew we were gonna have to have this season I kind of agree with you I think that just given the time frame and the circumstances we really need to show out for this game after we lost to Illinois and we need, like, there are people, including specifically you, in this case, who were saying we're going to lose this game just based on how it felt. And I don't blame you for that because it really felt like we were sliding after we lost to Michigan State and then lost to Illinois. And I think from a conference perspective, we really needed to win this game. And we need to at least play well in the next one, too. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. Um, they need to win this game. They really didn't. They went out and they got it done against a team that they should beat, especially at home. But as you just said that I said, you just don't don't know. The team's young. It was really about how they responded. And let's talk about one of those guys that's definitely key in responses, which is Daryl Morsell. 28 minutes, 3 for 7, shooting 2 for 2 from 3, which you don't get much with Morsell. 5 rebounds, 8 points. Solid performance, plays hard on defense. Just one of those guys that Maybe Jordan's starting to heat up a little bit. Well, there was one point early in the second half where he turned the ball over two possessions in a row, which were only two turnovers of the game there, that I was kind of like, oh, my God, just get this guy out of here. But he responded well. He maintained his presence. And he is he's a glue guy, in my opinion. He's not going to give you a ton on offense. He's a good defender. He plays hard, and he just he's a good guy to have on the floor you know when people talk about more sales offensive production how it's picked up just a little bit you gotta 
look back to last year about this time, you're talking about a guy that's probably gone from a zero or two to eight, which is hard. That's six points or eight points, depending on what night it was. Even earlier in this year, you have to look at his production, look at him not in the bigger picture, but just look at focus on what he's done. He's gotten a lot better on offense, and you just you got to give him props for that. The two for two from three is just something you really don't see from Daryl Marcel much. It's just it's good. It's really nice to see because I've talked with his the guy that he trains with in the off season, who's at almost every game. He also trains Jalen Smith, and last year he said, you know, he's in there. He puts in the work. I'm just waiting for the day where it comes out on the court, and it's just he's getting better. And that's something that a lot of people love to rag on Mark Turgeon for, but you, you just got to look at it and give credit where credit is due. They've been getting better. They might have lost a game to a team they should have beat, but you can just see the little things just improving. I agree, and uh, just freezing to the bench real quick. Tamayich gets in for three minutes at the end of the game, scores, a point, scores two points, gets a rebound. Bender plays his minute, gets a rebound. Ricky Lindo, 21 minutes, five boards, a steal, a turnover, three fouls, and two points. Not another, not a marquee day for Ricky, maybe. No, it's kind of turning into the Ricky Lindo special. This was a rough game for Lindo. These last two have been really tough for Ricky Lindo. They just they got to stop with the Lindo and Bender lineup. They got to go to Lindo and Fernando, and then I almost want to. I'm pressed to say at this point. Tomajic and Smith. Try somebody else. Bender, I, I want to say the injuries have done him in. It's He was on the edge of being at this level before, and the injuries have just slowed him down. It's really unfortunate because there was a time where Bender had a big upside, and I, know I might get some um, pushback for that, but you know, there was a time where Bender was a young player that could move, and he could always pass the way that he can. He's a really, honestly, I think he's a really good passing big man. But the injuries have really just bogged him down. They battered him his whole career, and at this point, I'm not sure if he's getting better than your one to four minutes that Turgeon loves to give him. Maybe just push to Tomajic, because Tomajic, he's not great, but what else do we have? What else is Bender really giving us that Tomajic could do worse? Uh, not much is really the answer. As for Ricky, he'll be fine. Maybe he's a freshman. He's a freshman. That's what I'm going to say about that. Uh, Trace Ramsey, two minutes. Freshman from Indiana. Did not register a stat. Terrell Smith played a lot in relief of Anthony Callen. 13 minutes. Two field goal attempts. One made. A three-pointer. Two free throws out of three attempts, a couple boards, and five points. It was about on average for him. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, other guys, we got to see Andrew Terrell in the game. The fans really loved it. Um, he records one stat, which is a foul. And then we have Aaron Wiggins, who played 26 minutes, um, did not make a basket, and only had a point, but gave you those important minutes when Cowan was out. Um, I got to say, uh, 
my main takeaway from this game is how Maryland played without Anthony Cowan. Oh, absolutely. They played. There wasn't a drop-off. There really was not a drop-off. You could actually – I don't have the plus mine in front of me, but I'd be curious to see if it was better with or without Ant on the floor because they really broke the game open without him on the floor. And I'm not saying he – or better without him by any stretch am I saying that. But we played well in relief of him, and that was just a relief to see. Yeah, let's move to what's next for the Terps. They will play a red-hot 24th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers team who will enter the game at 15-6 and six on the season. They're coming off of wins against Michigan, Illinois, Northwestern, and at Nebraska. Um, I don't know what else to say. This game was really close in the Xfinity Center, and it's going to be a tough one. Ranked matchup on the road for Maryland coming up on Friday night. It is worth mentioning that Mar- that Wisconsin's last loss was against two Mason or Maryland Terrapins, but you know uh, I'm pressed to say that you can kind of see it coming. Wisconsin pushed hard at the end of that game. They were angry that they lost that game. They were angry that they put themselves in that situation, and you know I I kind of took a look at their schedule to see. Um, what they had next because I thought that team was really going to take a beat down. Then I saw that it was Michigan, and I was like, huh, maybe they'll really take a dive down because, you know, when you get to that point where you're really boiling, you know, and a lot of fans that watch sports know, it's kind of that make-or-break moment. And they really stepped up. They beat up on Michigan. They made the game physical. They pushed them around down low, and they got a win. I know we both watched that game. Um, Then they got... You know, two easy ones. Unfortunately, you know, Maryland dropped one of those, which would have been that Illinois game. Wisconsin beat both of those teams. And then they faced, most recently, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who lost their star player for the season. It was either in that game or before that. I, I'm blanking on that one right now. And now here they are, a home game against a ranked Maryland team in what will certainly be a rough environment in the Cole Center. Enormous game in the Big Ten standings. Huge down the road implications for a double buy. Right now, it's Michigan, Michigan State locked at nine and one. Then Purdue and Maryland are tied. Purdue has a tiebreaker on us, and then Maryland is one half game ahead of Wisconsin. So if Maryland wins this game, they can bury Wisconsin for at least for a little bit. But if Wisconsin wins, they jump us in the standings. It's also worth mentioning that Wisconsin is way ahead of us. They're behind us in the ranking in AP poll by three, but EPN, ESPN's BPI standings, Wisconsin's 12, Maryland's 25, and Ken Palm's advanced metric system, Wisconsin's 10, Maryland is 19. So at, according to math, we're going to lose this game. But in actuality, what do you think, Mason? I think the Turfs get it done. I really do. Um, I like the way they were able to push the uh, beginning – was in the Xfinity Center. There's just something about this game. I'm feeling Maryland's going to win this game. I'm actually feeling that Maryland wins uh, against Wisconsin, against Nebraska, against Purdue, and then they will lose that game at Michigan. But this game uh, is very important. But I've just I got this feeling that Maryland's kind of got Wisconsin with the skills that Fernando and Smith possess down low. 
against, of course, the team that was centric with Ethan, with Ethan Happ. And what's the name of the big man that um, beat up on Maryland when Happ got out of the game with foul trouble? I think that he wears number Nate, 35. Yeah, that'd be Nate Reavers, who's kind of turned it around since that game, by the way. I just feel like Wisconsin's kind of got something going. They really, they really just, um, they've kind of just continued, as I said, they've continued that play that they were playing against in that second half against Maryland, but I just have a feeling that Maryland's, that Maryland's going to go out and really win this game. Man, this is a hard one to predict. When you talk about Maryland turning turning it around after our, um, as one of the Maryland sites put it, nightmare in New York game against Illinois, this is like, this is the game for me. It was Northwestern. I kind of felt we were going to beat Northwestern. They're Northwestern. They're not very good. I know we said against Illinois too, but still. But this game is a hard game to win. Wisconsin may be the hottest team in the Big Ten right now. Actually, I'll give that to Purdue, but Wisconsin second. And I, I don't know how Maryland's going to stack up against that. I don't think we're a very hot team right now. I think we're still recovering from our disaster of New York or Nightmare in New York. And I don't see us winning this game. I just – I don't – I really want to, but – I think we lose this one, I'll say 74 to 70. But, Mason, I want to get one more word in before you give your prediction. Do you remember when we were number two in the country, the epic metal trimble shot? At of Polestar? course. You see, everyone brings that shot up now when Maryland plays Wisconsin. Is that a problem to you? I mean, it was a great, it was a great Maryland play. It was probably the best play of that season. But, I mean, to be honest, every time I see it on Twitter, I watch it. But, yeah, continue. Uh, I just, that's the Wisconsin memory for me. I know we played some great games when we were, when they had Bo Ryan and we were pretty good. Though I think our first season in the Big Ten. But that mm-hmm. shot for me is just, it's one of the Maryland moments of the last 10 years. And every time you play Wisconsin, I'm reminded of it. Yeah, it's always, you know what, I'll, I'll say, it is worth bringing up. It is such a, just a Maryland play. And actually, my favorite moment from that is, if you listen to the call of that game, Dan Dakich says, Mellow Trimble has taken too much time, then he just steps into the shot and he nails it. Yep. Or, no, no, he says, there's not enough time. Or, no, he says, I think he says too much time because there wasn't enough time left on the clock. And then Melo just steps into it and just nails it. It's just, it was such a good play. It was really, to me, that if you said, what's your Melo moment? I would probably say the shot at Xfinity Center in his last game against Michigan State. But that play just, that summarized just how clutch Melo Trimble was. For me, my Melo moment is actually um, in the freshman season when he did the crossover and broke um, Tom Tumner's ankles and then hit three to go into halftime. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, of course I remember that one. That That's one, there's not, there's not that many great videos of that shot, but that was just, that was a heck of a play. I mean, Mellow Trimble, 
no, no, this is kind of off topic. Just gave Maryland so it's so many just. Uh, I almost call them uh, I don't know photogenic plays, but except video, I don't know how you really, um, say that. They were, but they were just beautiful basketball plays, and he had so many of those. And I think maybe on one of these podcasts we have like an empty early segment, which has not happened recently. But if it does, I'd actually like to dive into Melo's legacy a little bit now that we're a couple years out. But we are way off topic here. What's your prediction for this game? Let's see. I already said that I was going to take the Terps, but I did not give out a score. I'm going to take Maryland. I'll take your score except opposite. I'll take Maryland 74-70 to at the Cole Center. And I think that's a wrap for this podcast. I believe it is. And as always, we would like to thank our sponsors here on the Young Terps Podcast, Viner Fourgates in Rockville. If you're looking for a website, they built terpdoc.com and capitalsportsblog.com, and they can build a website just like that for you. You can visit them on the web at oneviner.com, or you can reach them on the phone at 301-251-2900. Allied Party Rentals is the place to go. For all of your party rental needs, any size, Allied has got you covered. You can visit them at AlliedPartyRentals.com. And Maryland Eurocars, if you're looking for a five-star place to get your European car service, Maryland Eurocars is a place to go. Audi, Mercedes, BMWs, they do them all at Maryland Eurocars. You can reach them at 301-217-5831 and ask for Christian. Um, Jordan, that's it. Terps, to have a big one on Friday night. Big for the Big Ten standings, and now we're kind of getting into those bigger implication games than just a win or a loss. Um, I'm loving the meaningful basketball being played by our Maryland Terrapins. As am I, and as much as I hate Friday night games, I will be in here watching it, and I'm sure many of you will as well. Go Terps. Yeah, give us a follow on Twitter, and that's it for this podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.